Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to episode 60 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, if you are a longtime listener, you're probably thinking, Renee, what happened to the podcast episode yesterday? We typically air our episodes on a Tuesday, whether it be our long kind of guest episodes, which are around an hour long, or we have our check-in Tuesday episodes every fortnight. And I thought, "Mm, I'm going to hold this just for another 24 hours, because if you are listening to this in real time, you will know that it is the 8th of March, 2023. And on the 8th of March, we celebrate International Women's Day. And I thought, what better guest to have on International Women's Day? It is none other than the New York Times bestselling author of Fair Play and the national bestseller Find Your Unicorn Space, Eve Rodsky. Now, before we get to that interview, I just wanted to do a little plug for all of our new doulas who have joined Fill Your Cup, which is a doula village run across here in Australia. We service Hobart, Melbourne, and now Sydney and Brisbane, where we provide in-home services to sleep-deprived and newborn mamas. What is a postpartum doula? If you're not aware, if you're a first-time listener, you might not have heard about this. If you're a long-time listener, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us again. So at Fill Your Cup, we essentially provide in-home care to newborn mamas and their families where we've been told, and this is quote-unquote from a Google review, that we are the Mary Poppins of mothers. So we support you during that postpartum or first 40 days where you are going to be just treated like a queen. We, We send you a menu. You get to choose from beautiful, nourishing, postpartum-specific meals each week, snacks. We come in and we prepare that food for you fresh in home. We hold your baby while you go have a nice hot shower or you rest or nap or go do some meditation or yoga nidra or whatever it is that is going to get that oxytocin boost in your body. We provide opportunity for you to have a birth debrief. We sit, we listen, you are heard. You are not lonely in your home when your partner goes back to work or when your friends are no longer texting and calling and saying, can we please come over and see the baby? Because the concept around Fill Your Cup is who is going to hold the mother? And that is exactly what a postpartum doula does. So if you're interested in being nurtured and nourished in your postpartum, and we say postpartum is for life, we have people who haven't even conceived their baby and they are already booking a doula with us versus people who have a 10-month-old baby and they're about to return to work and they are sleep-deprived and depleted and they need that extra pair of hands in the house then fill your cup doulas are your answer. If you're interested in having a look at how we can support you best, book in a chat with me. Happy to have a discussion with you. Pop over to our website, ifillyourcup.com. That's all one word. And you can have a look at some of the offerings that we've got there. If we're not currently servicing your state at the moment, we've got some beautiful FYC products that you can purchase, including our dark chocolate goji lactation cookie mix, which 
It has been rated in the top 10 in Australia, which is very exciting. That was a recent thing this year. We also have alongside our beautiful, uh, we call it the perfect 3am snack, our cookies, our creamy coconut dal mix, which is a first in market to contain organic chicken bone broth and it is literally a rip tip and pour that packet mix into a saucepan add some water and coconut cream and you have got a delicious and nourishing meal for breakfast lunch or dinner and once you have filled your beautiful mama bod with nourishing food you're going to take a nice long bath and pop in some of our postpartum recovery sits. We've got seven organic botanicals in the blend and we've included magnesium chloride in our mix, not sulfite, uh, like the Epsom salts. And that is to make sure that we get maximum muscle absorption, get away all those aches and pains that we've got by holding our babies and rocking them and swaying them all night long. So again, if you're interested in being treated like a queen in your postpartum or filling your belly with some beautiful nourishing food, pop over to our website, ifillyourcup.com. And if you enter the code I love FYC, you can get 10% off any one of those products. So as I alluded to, happy International Women's Day, everyone. What an amazing day it is. And I have known for quite some time that we were having Eve Rodsky on the podcast. I was just so excited when I received that email to say that she was coming on. And for those who follow us on social media, I have been alluding to this for the past couple of months that we had someone very, very big coming on to the pod. So if anyone's been hiding under a rock <laughs> and you're not sure who Eve Rodsky is, let me explain to you this amazing woman. So Eve Rodsky transformed a quote-unquote blueberries breakdown into a catalyst for social change when she applied her Harvard-trained background in organisational management to ask the simple yet profound question, what would happen if we treated our homes as our most important organisations? So her New York Times bestselling book and Reese Witherspoon's book club pick, Fair Game, a gamified life management system that helps partners rebalance their domestic workload and reimagine their relationship, has elevated cultural conversation about the value of unpaid labour and care. And in her highly anticipated follow-up, which is kind of, it's, it's a kind of last chapter that features in Fair Play, She's developed a whole new book out of this. It's called Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. So Eve explores the cross-section between the science of creativity, productivity, and resilience. It's described as the antidote to physical, mental, and emotional burnout. Hell yes. Eve aims to inspire a new narrative around the equality of time, and we talk about this in depth, and the individual right to personal time choice that influences sustainable and lasting change on a policy level. So Rodsky's work is backed by Hello Sunshine, Reese Witherspoon's media company, whose mission is to change the narrative for women through storytelling. Eve was born and raised by a single mum in New York City and now lives in LA with her husband, Seth, and their three children. And you'll hear in this interview how in the beginning I picked up this book many, 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 many moons ago and I really struggled. I really struggled reading it because it triggered me so much that I had to put it down. I wasn't in a, I wasn't in the right headspace to be able to tackle the issues and have the proper conversations that I needed to have, both with myself, 
and with my husband around rebalancing our household. I don't think I'm alone in the story of two people in a household, both with full-time jobs, have a baby, primary carer, which typically is mum, stays home and is a stay-at-home mum and has, a you know, a extended maternity leave, whatever that looks like for you. And so whilst you're at home and you're not actually doing paid work because childcare and child rearing is, is not arguably, is Renee, it is the most underpaid form of labour in the world. We know that for a fact. And so you then finish your maternity leave and you head back to work. But in that time that you have been at home with your child, you have been doing bits and bobs around the house, you've been running the, the household activities, you've been doing what I like to call life admin. So, you know, who's paying the bills, who's organising the washing, the gifts for family members, the banking, like all the things. I don't need to tell you. I, I'm assuming that everyone is sitting there nodding their head going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, that's on my plate. And so then you end up going back to work. But the household still needs to run. So whose who's job is that? Whose role and responsibility is it to continue with those daily grind activities and everything else that comes with it in order to run? And so more often than not, it is the women who are left still with the role of running the household and you still have a full-time job to do as well. And because I am so passionate about having these couples conversations and prioritizing what is important in your lives, I am going to give one of our lucky listeners the book, Fair Play, and a deck of cards so they can start implementing these changes within their own lives And hopefully you can reconcile within your own household what's important and get that unicorn space back in your life. So if you would like to start that journey, I need you to head over to our website to enter the competition. It's I Fill Your Cup. I-F-I-L-L-Y-O-U-R-C-U-P dot com forward slash pages with an S forward slash fair play, F-A-I-R-P-L-A-Y. And you can pop your email in there and enter the draw to win Evrodsky's New York best seller fair play and the fair play deck which is very, very exciting. Entries close on the 22nd of March, Australian Eastern Standard Time this year. And that is where Eve's phenomenal book, Fair Play, comes in. You can also, and I highly recommend this, and I've got these, you get the deck of cards and you play the game around redistributing the household tasks that are required for your life to run smoothly. So I'm very excited to introduce Eve Rodsky. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Eve Rodsky, how are you today? Thank you so much for having me. As I was saying, I'm going between my kids' schools today, so it felt pretty appropriate to be thinking about motherhood as we're in their schools for Valentine's Day, handing out Valentine's for three different kids in three three different school classrooms. Yeah, I definitely feel you. My husband left for some interstate travel this morning at 4.30. I've got my daughter upstairs in front of an iPad, <laughs> threw some toast and a drink at her, and I was like, mommy will be downstairs. Come get me if, if there's an emergency. So the jungle is real. I feel you. Um, So look, 
Obviously, today on the episode, we're going to talk about your bestseller book, Fair Play. And Eve, I have to be really honest with you. I attempted reading this book probably just after it kind of came out. Um, it came across my um, my social yes, media yes. and I was in the thick of motherhood. I was probably about two years postpartum and I attempted to read it and I'm going to say attempted and I had to put it down. Honestly, yeah. it was so mm-hmm. triggering for me because I was like, oh my God, has this woman like been living in my head? This is everything that I have been thinking and feeling. And I was just like, I'm not emotionally ready to tackle this right now. Mm-hmm. So I shelved it or shall I say on my Kindle, I was like, I'm just going to put you down for a sec. <laughs> and then obviously COVID hit and it was just, let's just keep your head above the parapet <laughs> type of scenario. Yes. Oh my God. But I revisited it last year and I was in a much better space, mental health space. Emotionally, I was much better. And I want to read a section from it, which was, I guess for me, that point where I was like, you know what, we're going to play this game in our house because I'm done. Like I'm so done and I was prepared. So if you'll just kind of entertain me. Please. I love this. this. This is, this is the moment for me. And you've written in here, I quote, are the two hours my husband spends on a work conference call more valuable than the two hours I spend holding my child's hand at the doctor? In other words, is time-consuming support given to my family's to-do list off-screen equal to the time-consuming activity of paid work on-screen? Oh, my God, I just get tingles and I'm trying to fight back the tears because this is a moment in my life where I was like, you know what, I'm a working mum, my husband works as well, but why am I running the house and everything that goes with it still? Like, how is this still happening? So I would love to hear about your moment and you write about this in your book where you have just gone, this is the last roll on the camel's back. We need to do something about this. Can you share with the listeners what that was and how it kind of was the catalyst for this game? Well, thank you for your emotional vulnerability. And I, I, you know, sometimes I do believe this, even though this is not sexual assault or other things that typically have a trigger warning, I do think that the fact that we um, suffer such poor relational health you know, we we now have trigger warnings on mental health or even physical health. We talk about them, but relational health is really um, never been talked about. And so I really look at fair play as, as shoring up that mu- muscle of relational health, which has actually now been proven to be one of the most important things to our actual physical health. And so thank you for your vulnerability. I think for me, I was similar to you in that except for my journey has been a little bit longer. This for me started in 2011 after my second son, Ben was born. And I talk about in fair play, I had this blueberries breakdown, which was similar to what you're saying about having uh, a no more, I can't do this anymore realization in my own family life, which was that I was the she fault, Mm -hmm. you know, the default for literally every single household and domestic task for my family. Even though this man, I was married to Seth, who, and the the day I had this realization was the day he sent me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And why I tell that story is I think it's so important because texts like, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries are why we don't tackle relational Mm -hmm. health. Because still to this day, there are relationship experts and therapists who gaslight people saying, use a kinder voice. (laughs) You're expecting too much of your partner. They bring in the money. That's the real work. So we've we've been conditioned so so dutifully uh, to not speak up about these issues or to believe and be gaslighted that complaining about our partner's inability to find their own socks, get their own you know tuxedo for a, a wedding, yeah. uh, show up on time for a kid's uh, birthday party, that we're we're nagging, we're complaining that this isn't real problems, that we're privileged. 
But really, truly, this is about something much deeper. For me, I had this blueberries breakdown over this realization that my husband, Seth, thought I was the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. But I think really this is about the fact that presenting problems aren't real problems. Mm -hmm. And small details are actually the things that cause the biggest problems. I had one man I interviewed tell me that um, he was divorcing over a glue stick. Oh, wow. And so, you know, we can, we can go into that story maybe another time, but, but I think that that's what happens. We look at this so individually as this is a problem I have with my individual partner, but I do think when, when we can step out from the triggers, because this is a very triggering topic and really look holistically at what society has done to set up women to fail in this sort of late stage capitalist patriarchy it's much more helpful because then if I at least known these things that Seth was an equal partner before kids, but on average men do five to 15 hours less after kids. Mm -hmm. If I knew the fact that my relationship, because we didn't communicate about domestic life would become all assumption and no structured decision-making. If I knew that as my friend warned me that my partner was going to assume that I had a magical vagina that whispered in my ear, what his mother wanted for Christmas <laughs> Right. Then, then if I knew that that's what I, the, the headwinds that I was facing, I think I would have been in a, a lot menti, in a lot better mental health space to handle the actual reality of what life was like living and being partnered with a man after kids. Oh, 100%. And I think, I think the anger kind of comes up because I look at, I look at my mom who, shaped her whole life around her children, myself and my sister. And, you know, she kind of ran her own business because she was like, well, I need to do childcare drop-off. I need to pick you up at a certain time. You need to have dinner on the table at a certain time. And she was running around, as you say, you know, getting gifts for my, you know, extended mm. dad's family. And, you know, th that was the way of life. And that's all I knew because we model what we see from our own parents. Yeah, yeah. And then you get in the thick of it and you're like, hold on a minute, the brain space that I am like running at, at like, you know, full speed the whole time, it's just crazy. Like I think there's a lot of um, memes and reels and things like that out there of kind of like, are we going to say a man? Because most likely in this mm -hmm, in this place, mm -hmm. yes. it's a man. And he, in the morning, gets up, has breakfast, has a shower, walks out the door, goes to work, and that's it. For a mum, what she does when she walks through the house, like that, you know, you glance across and you're like, oh, there's dishes on the table. And then you walk in the bathroom, you're like, oh, I need to order some more shampoo. And, oh, the toothpaste is running out. And all you needed to do was actually just get from one end of the house to the other <laughs> to get a towel, you know, to have a shower. And it's like, oh, we need laundry detergent and, oh, shit, you know, we need to buy some more towels because, you know, whatever. It's that mental space of just all the fine details and they are taking up, you know, almost like your entire desktop when you've got all those files on the top of your desktop and you're like, just need to clean that shit up. <laughs> it is just the tabs are there's too many tabs well, open. I'm I'm terrible physically, emotionally. There's a million tabs <laughs> on my um computer. So okay, so Eve, I was brave. I did it. I read the book, and can I just tell you that <laughs> I was like reading it in front of my husband at the breakfast table, and I'm like <laughs> just like glancing up at him as I'm reading paragraphs, and I'm like, oh, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. As and then I have to say that I got a little bit trigger happy and I hadn't even finished the book. And I'm like, I'm all in. Right. I'm all in on this. This is great. We've ordered the cards. It's happening. It's coming. And so I didn't finish the book. Now, for all those people playing at home, finish the book because there is something right. yes. in there that I really missed. And it was so helpful afterwards because, Eva, I just like, push the book across the table and I like put it in front of him and he's like what's this what what are you doing and I was like I've been reading this book and I really think that we should play this game and he was like okay and I was like it's called fair play and it's about all the household tasks and all the as you say in the book all the shit that I have to do to run this mm -hmm, place mm -hmm. 
but I had not yet got to the stage, and this is how early on I pushed the book across the table, around understanding the language and the, I guess, the rules of engagement as to how to get them to participate because resistance was coming for me. Can you walk us through? Because I love this. I love the fact that you, because I, when I first posted this on Instagram, what's your partner's last year, name? Grayson. Your, all right. Well, thank you, Grayson, for uh, experiencing the rage and maybe not <laughs> the power yet of the system, but we love you. Well, we do. We do. And he is participating now because yes, yes. we went back to first principles yes, and yes. I worked through the, the language. And I love the fact that you put scripts in there because so many people have said to me, how did you do it? What was it like? Was there a big mm-hmm. blow up beforehand? Like what happened? So can you walk us through, I guess, the language and the rules of engagement that you have found just really work? And then How does the game actually work in households? Such a great question. So, you know, obviously, I think it's important to say, right, that this is, you know, for couples where there's no abuse in the relationship, because, you know, I just saw this really interesting statistic that when women are breadwinners, they're 30% more likely to be abused in their their homes. So we know that there's some something going on with masculinity at this point. But I will say that fair play became a love letter to men because in the right rules of engagement, yes, just like with any social justice movement, the oppressed are the ones who are going to have to initiate the change. Mm -hmm. Um, As my mother, who is a professor of social change said, I wish this book, you know, was a book written to men. And I said, well, mom, you know why it's not, right? Because she's the one who taught me that if you want something to change it, right, we have to be the ones willing to start a collective movement um, for a change. And that's really what we're doing here. Because the reason why Fair Play became a love letter to men was because I, I really saw much less of the resistance because, Renee, because of this... I am patriarchal and I want my wife to suffer. Like I did not see that a lot. What I saw was resistance to having conversations about domestic life for men because those conversations in the past have not gone well. Mm -hmm. Because the consistent cadence of conversations about domestic life have hurt men in that they're viewed as incompetent or that they can't get anything right. Or the worst part for men, which was, and I say this to Grayson, you know, thank you for hanging in there. This lack of psychological safety, because as much as the mental load is stressful for women, not knowing your role in a home is stressful to men. And mm-hmm. yes, we're talking about the heteronormative relationship here, but assumptions versus structured decision making is actually something that can work for single parents. It's something that can work with their children. It can help with LGBTQI couples who, when one person's making more money, assumes that they have to do less work. So what we're trying to do here is really understand and unpack assumptions that have taken the place of systemic and structured decision-making. And that's really a way to end bias. And that's how lawyers, like I am, look at how to end bias. We're not psychologists. We don't look at the sort of inner trauma of people, but we look at behavior change. And so I knew how to do behavior change because my whole life, my entire career, Renee has been about working with families that look like our HBO show Succession. I don't know if they ha- you have that there yet, <laughs> yes. but you should all feel bad for me because I work with really highly complex families and their dynamics. And I help these families and their systems come to a place of boundaries with each other, systems and communication. And when you have that secret formula, what happens is it brings back the organization, the thing that we are most lacking and the thing that our organizations most lack, and I call the home our most important organization, is accountability and trust. Mm -hmm. So the way this comes about, and this came about for me after my blip breakdown, was really understanding the power, like you said, of, of being triggered, of understanding that this was not about me, that there was a second shift, there was an invisible load, there was a mental load, whatever you want to call it, there's the invisible work, uh, there's a second shift, there's emotional labor. These terms 
started to pop up all over um, for me in 2011. This is before we had social media. We were talking about these things. And I realized, wow, we've been having these conversations since the 1960s. So I'm not alone. And then once you realize you're not alone, you can really do something with that information. And so for me, it was a journey of really going through like any Gen X woman would do, making a list called the shit I do spreadsheet for my husband. <laughs> it didn't work because like you said, I got a lot of resistance to that spreadsheet. I don't want to see this work to moving to understand that the women in my life in 2011 that seemed most empowered were the ones who said that three words had changed their life. And I asked them eagerly, what are those three words? And they said, court ordered custody. And so for me, it was, okay, so really the only solve um, as of 2011 I could find was divorce, which was what my parents went through. And it was highly traumatic. We had a very, very hard childhood because of our parents' divorce. So not saying you always have to stay together and that those women aren't right. But I felt like, could I create a divorce for married people? (laughs) And what I realized those women who were feeling so empowered in their divorce, they were getting a relief from the mental load because of joint custody. And so my goal was how do I create a system where you get complete relief of the mental load for certain tasks? And because I did that in my day job for my HBO show, HBO show, HBO succession clients, I realized that that secret formula that I had developed for them in the workplace of real true boundaries, systems, and communication could work for the home. Mm-hmm. And so that's how Fair Play became um, a card game. It became a metaphor for a hundred cards. And when you hold a card of these hundred cards that represent your childcare and your housework, that not only are you holding a card with full ownership. So for example, extracurricular sports, you don't just show up to the little league field. You go on the 85 person text chain and you buy the equipment and you're the one logging into the portal that always crashes and finding your kid's birth certificate. Once you get ownership and understand what ownership means, then it doesn't have to be 50-50. That's mm-hmm. the beauty. It works for every family structure because the only thing we know is that assumption doesn't work. But even if you say, I intentionally take all hundred cards, which I would never recommend anybody doing, no. <laughs> at least you do it with intention, not assumption. And so I'm not telling you how to live your life. All I'm telling you is I have tools to help you make decisions about how you live your life that are not rooted in assumption. Absolutely. And I want to talk about one of the things that I absolutely loved about this is the concept that when you hold a card, you talk like that's it. You have full ownership. Yes. Because I think that's the thing. Because previously in our household, I would say to Grayson, I just need to put, like, can you just put some washing on or, like, I need help with this or whatever. And so washing would go into the washing machine, but in some instances, and I'm not going to try out. and yes. throw him yes. under the bus. Yes. He's yeah, a no, good but man. I get it. You know, he's a yes, good man. Yes, of course. But I'm like, what's that beeping noise? And it would be the washing machine finished. And I'm like, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to see. And it, would, it wouldn't get put out. And so, you know, but again, why I I'm, I'm going to step in for Grayson yeah, here. Yeah. Right. The, the, if we did that in the workplace, that would be called, well, I call it a rat. Sometimes we, we're called nags, which I think is too gendered and horrific. So I call, I look at it from the, from the perspective of the person who may not know their role in the home. So what yes. this person heard from you was put on the washing. So that is what I call a random assignment of a task. We know that when employees or people in the work context are given rats, I call it rats, they call it, you know, uh, con- uh, control and no context. When you're when you're in a position of full control and no context, waiting for someone else to tell you what to do, it puts people in a very psychologically unsafe position to the mm-hmm. point where they give up. Yes. And so that's why the ownership is so helpful. Of course, there's patriarchy. And of course, I talk a lot about (laughs) why we've been conditioned to value women's time as sand and men's time as diamonds. There's lots of reasons for why these things happen. But in the moment in an individual relationship, what it could feel like to the partner who is not as 
not the one holding the mental load is I have to wait for Renee to tell me what to do. And the problem with that is that control, that control and no context, it's very hard for somebody to succeed in a system mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And look, I get it. I get that we've been taught to be complicit in our own oppression. We've been taught to say, well, I don't want to have to tell Grayson what to do. It's easier for me to just do it myself. (laughs) I know that we can say to ourselves, well, Grayson just doesn't see it. And my maternal wiring makes it easier for me to see the cars that people are going to slip on on the stairs. I know we've told ourselves, well, our partner, you know, is better at focusing on one task at a time and we can find the time. But Renee, we're not fucking Albert Einstein. We can't find time. We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. We just have been conditioned as women to believe that our time choice, our most valuable currency, should be given away for free to other people. Mm-hmm. 100%. And yeah. that's why, that's the boundaries piece. Yeah. If this was just systems, if I could just say to you, here's the hundred cards, D- divvy them up with full ownership, like we do in the workplace, like we do in my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group. Where even there, they have clearly defined expectations. You don't bring snack twice, you're out. Literally every (laughs) other place in the world has clearly defined expectations in the home. If it was just systems, this would have been out in 2012. Because I had the system like bang, bang, bang. It was the fact that I couldn't get people to adopt the system because they were so, women especially, were so conditioned to believe Mm. that all these hundred cards, this invisible work was their duty. Yes. That that they had to do them, that having it all meant doing it all because they, they really did feel like they were A, better multitaskers, that in the time it would take to say something, they would just do it themselves faster, that their time, they could find it. And I think that's been the hardest part of this movement and why it's so triggering is because for me, it wasn't just that Seth took on extracurricular sports, Renee, right? And started with one card and I still had, you know, 89 at the time. <laughs> but but I did get six hours of my week back once he started going on those, those text chains and taking my kids to practice and ordering their equipment for extracurricular sports. So that, but that wasn't the the big aha moment for me. The big aha moment for me in my own life after dealing with Seth and my blueberries breakdowns and my own realizations about my it's enough moment was I had to really sit down with Seth and say, look, I can't be in a relationship where you think my time is less valuable than yours. We both have 24 hours in a day. And, and I love that you have three hours, four hours after our kids go to bed to check sports center, work out, finish a PowerPoint deck. But I'm doing things in service of our home, literally till my head hits the pillow, two hours after you go to bed. So not only is it sacrificing my sleep, but it's sacrificing every one of my, my time that I could have control over. And once I've lost control over my time, Seth, I feel like I don't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. I like, well, like in this, in this way, you know, God forbid, not suicidal ideation, but I'm not going to live like this anymore. Yeah. Because... I am I I need to gain some control back over my time. And to do that, I need a partner, not a helper. That was a really, really hard re- re- revelation for me. And it's probably why you put the book down because I talk about those revelations. And those are not easy to have when you think that you have come through your own trauma, created a life that was different from the one you may have seen growing up, and then to realize you're replicating the same patterns. Um, it was really, really hard for me. Yeah, we had a very similar conversation in our house. Um, there was a lot of tears on my part. Tears, I, just yeah. that, just that. I think, like, they're, they're they must be aware of it. Like they're observing you through the house. But I don't think, like, for Grayson, he didn't understand the gravity of the mental load. Like as I was explaining to him, you know, I work from home. And so I, I purposely do not do any household chores or tasks or anything like that now because Good. otherwise I'm not <laughs> uh, otherwise I'm not working right right because previously you know sometimes he would come home and he'd be like wow houses whoa you know and I'm like yeah I was working all day mm-hmm. I was like you didn't you didn't come home in your lunch break and put on a load of washing, did you? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, why should I? 
And I think for me, one of, <laughs> one of the big triggers is just, again, as you say, the second shift. And this is a huge topic that we kind of talk about in our arena around the fact that, you know, women are at work all day. Then there's the, you know, pick up from school or childcare. You've got to get dinner on and your partner just waltzes on in, sits down. <laughs> Typically, Grayson's got some feedback about dinner, which doesn't, <laughs> is not really received well. And then, you know, there's the craziness of the bedtime routine. Bath, brush your teeth, brush your hair. I typically do bedtime routine because my daughter is a like she's a mum girl, and I love mm-hmm. bedtime routine. I love yes, it. That's you know? a good one, but that's a card. That's and a by card. the way, do you like holding that card? Hold that. Hold bedtime routine. Exactly. You don't have to redeal that card if you no. love it. But sure, the thing it. is that I then after I've like laid with her in bed because you know this is our time we do stories and I lie with her until she goes to sleep, and then. I would come out and I would be making lunches, cleaning up the kitchen, things like that. And I I just said to him, enough. I am not making another lunch. I'm done. <laughs> okay, like yes. I'm just done. And he that's was hard. And by the way, that's a card. Yeah. That's called small lunches. That's another <laughs> card. Which I was you can like, hand off over the full here, ownership. Mate. Exactly. But, but but that's I love that that you start to look at even before sort of really engaging with fair play, the d- discrete tasks yes. that you can start thinking about, the ones that, you know, you are you like to do, yeah. the ones that feel like a daily grind. We talk about that in fair play, yes. that some of them are daily grinds that no one really loves to do, but they shouldn't all fall on women. So I, I love that that was your thought process. Yes. And the thing was like something as simple as making lunches. And like, I know it's a burn. I hate making lunch boxes. Yes. They're just... <laughs> But he is now tasked with that. So because I would I would walk out of her room, you know, after I've done all of that, and, yes, he'd be sitting on the couch on his phone or, like, watching sports or whatever it is, and I'm just like, are you kidding me, mate? And then it's that classic thing of, like, you know, he would be saying to me, um, why aren't we spending more time together? Or, you know, where's where's that level of intimacy gone? And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? I am exhausted. The last thing that I want to do. I I just say to Seth, how is there intimacy when you're asleep at 11 o'clock and I'm still working till one in the morning (laughs) on the stuff for the household we have to do? So when would that work? How would that actually work? Absolutely. And so, yes. And and it is. And by the way, I think what's so, there's a, the most popular TED talk of all time is a TED talk of a man named Robert Waldinger, who is, um, he is now 75 years. He hasn't run it the whole time, but it's called the Harvard study of, I think relationships, but it's been a 75 year long study of, of men and their health. And this comes into your space, which I think is really important because what we're seeing now from the 75 years, and he's writing a book about it soon and it's a very popular TED talk if anybody wants to watch it, but what we're seeing for men, women, it's a little bit more complicated, but especially for men, if you control for cigarette use and uh, walking and gym use and uh, socioeconomic status and class and race, what they found now is there's actually only one predictor or one major predictor over whether men are alive at 85. And that is the quality of their relationships at 55. Wow. And so this is life or death for men in a way that maybe it isn't, it's like I said, it's a little bit more complicated for women because we have more relationships and different ways to find our relational health. But I think it's so fascinating because I'll tell you one quick story that sort of illustrates everything that fair play means to me now. Um, It's sort of like a Grayson and Renee type (laughs) <laughs> couple or you know some a couple that was I, I'd say like I was more steeped in fair play obviously because I started this in 2011 and this couple started to play during the pandemic but what was so interesting about what they were drawn to about fair play was um similar Amy was more um she had gone from being stay-at-home partner to trying um to have a more flexible job in the workplace and Richard was an ex- is an is an executive 
But what was so interesting was that they noticed by looking at the fair play cards, again, it's a metaphor, but it is also a card game Mm -hmm. where you can look at the cards, you can assess ownership. And what Richard noticed, A, he knew about the Robert Waldinger study because I had told him about it. Mm -hmm. And he had watched, I believe, the TED Talk. And he really did believe that for him to be alive at 85, he wanted to keep quality relationships with his two kids and his wife. And so they, he realized that most of the cards that he was responsible for or, or had wanted initially to take were in what I call the home suit. Mm-hmm. So those were a little bit easier, like meal, like uh, weeknight meals and dishes. Where he was lacking, back to that relational health, was in the magic cards and the caregiving cards. So there's, there's four suits. There's home, out, caregiving, magic, like a, a deck of cards. And the magic suit are more like managing in-laws and adult friendships. And one of the cards he noticed was magical beings. And he sort of gravitated towards that card because he thought "What? that's a fun way to connect with my kids to be their Santa Claus and their tooth fairy. And they are Irish. So there was a lucky leprechaun, which I learned (laughs) about. I guess that's another magical being or the Easter bunny. So they sort of made their list of what the magical beings were on the cycle of the year. And he took over tooth fairy. Now, what they reported back to me, which I thought was really important, was that the first time that he was tooth fairy, the tooth fairy didn't come. Okay. And so the old Richard and Amy dynamic was to sort of retreat back to their communication patterns of the past. And so her, she identified her communication pattern as like loud tone and verbal assassin. So her typical way would have been to say things to Richard like, uh, well, you've just ruined the magic for our daughter for the rest of her life. Like, I'll never trust you with anything ever again. You're the worst partner. I knew you couldn't do it. And Richard said his his communication style was sort of blame and avoidance. Okay. And I love that they were so good. There, there's an actual quiz and I love yes. that they were willing to be so self-aware. That's important. We need some self-awareness of people. Absolutely. So for him, blame and avoidance was like when she got big, he got small or retreated. Or he said another typical Richard scenario would have been blaming her, right? For not reminding him. Oh God. Yes. Put the dollar under the pillow. So I love that they were so honest with what they were like pre-fair play. But in their fair play practice around this one incident, the thing that changed Amy's life, she said, was that because they had already pre-negotiated that that was his card that he owned, Mm -hmm. Richard took accountability. Back to what we said earlier, organizations have accountability and trust when they're working well. So by him taking accountability, she could then trust him. So she backed off. She said, okay, I'm just going to let you deal with this with our daughter because he said, my bad, I totally messed up. Okay. Richard then tells me he takes his daughter in the morning aside. If they're, they have like a family computer with a big screen. And he emails toothfairy at gmail.com and says, hey, what's going on? You know, we um, we missed you last night. You know, is there fog? Like, could you not get in? Do you need me to open the door? And then he sends the email off, not expecting anything. And while his daughter's at school, he gets a response from that account saying, sorry, there's been supply chain issues. I can't get to every house (laughs) as fast as I could. Yeah. And Richard tells me he prints out this email and he shows it with his, shares it with his daughter and says, well, and he added, he told me he added this, that when the tooth fairy comes late, she brings double the money. Okay. And that's the end of the story. He's still the tooth fairy. He, they have this meaningful engagement. It was enough of a story for them to want to share it with me. And I think that that's the beauty of fair play. It doesn't have to be these monumentous shifts in your entire life. It's not eat, pray, love. You know, you don't have to eat, pray, love your way out of your marriage. But it's about these small shifts in accountability and trust that boundary, when you have boundaries and systems and communication, that you restore that accountability and trust. And that's what leads to intimacy. Yes, Yes, absolutely. It's that connection and communication. Yes, and yes. I think for me, just releasing that um, and offloading resentment as well 
has just been a complete game changer for us. And as you say, it's small things. It's just the small tasks that lunch, you know, lunch boxes or feeding the cats or... Yep, pets um, is another card. Yes. Yes. Or as you say, you know, engaging in school activities or something like that. It's those small things where you can find then time for self-care for yourself instead of going running a million miles an hour. Um, and but the has- truth is, I mean, they're not, what ends up happening though, is when I was able to actually quantify the amount of hours that these tasks take, you realize they're actually not small. Like what I, what you were saying earlier is that, or what we were talking about earlier about just that extracurricular sports, that card of one of a hundred cards, I realized that was about six hours of my week. Yeah. Six hours of our week is, that's a lot of time. That's 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 a a full work day, basically, right? Without lunch or whatever. And so I think the problem is that it becomes a death by a thousand cuts because to your partner, it may feel small, but it's like an avalanche. I mean, an avalanche starts with a, I've never used this analogy, but I guess it's true, right? An avalanche starts with like a, a, a snowflake. Yeah. Right. And so, but, but they kill avalanches, kill people. Yes. And so I think that that's, that's what ends up happening is that that avalanche just becomes too big. Absolutely. When I was reading the book, I was kind of reminded a friend of mine, Lisa, she posted something on social media and it made me kind of, it had like tones of fair play to it. I don't know if you've heard about this, what happened in Iceland in the seventies. So I'm going to yes, read the it. the strike. You mean yes, the strike? Okay, the let's see. Yes, yes, tell us, tell us, yes. Just hilarious. So for all those playing at home who don't know about it, in 1975, 90% of Icelandic women went on strike for economic and social equality. Um, so they didn't engage in any paid work. They didn't do any childcare. No housework got done. And essentially, like, the economy broke. <laughs> That day, and interestingly, Lisa was telling me that apparently, uh, what was it like? Sausages and hot dogs were sold out yes, at yes. every <laughs> at every store because the go to for all the men were like, "Oh God, what do we give children <laughs> to eat?" <laughs> okay, sausages and hot dogs, it's fine. And that men had to look after the kids and still go to work, so they had to juggle that. Factories stopped. Airline flights were cancelled. Bank executives, so the men, you know, in their offices had to then go work as tellers in banks, places shut down, the whole thing. I was like, <laughs> praise you, praise you, yes, ladies. praise you, Icelandic women. We love you, and yes. And they still celebrate that day every year to kind of, I think, maybe just keep everyone in check. It's like. Check and check. Don't, don't let me don't do that again. Don't do it again. Yes, yes, I, I got my finger on the trigger here, people. So. I guess that fair play, I think, to me is the stone in the river. We're yeah, seeing yeah. that ripple effect. What, and this is going to be like one of my last questions, what are your, I think, big picture like wants and needs out of this? What are you hoping for in terms of like community and global change for women? Thank you for that question. I think the, what I what I really wish I could have tattooed on my body is that private lives are public issues. And the more that we keep this private, and even as we said, you know, thank you to Seth and Grayson for letting us speak about you, right? <laughs> yes. Because part of part of the way we keep the shame is that we have to pretend, you know, women pretend. We pretend we don't have any help in our home, that we don't have any domestic help. We pretend that we have perfect partners. And it's often that's not doing a disservice to any, that's doing a disservice to anybody that comes up behind us. And I think part of the beauty is being able to say, I have a, I I have a very, I'm relationally healthy and I can still talk about my partner and what the gaps were in our relationship and it's practice. And so that's what I'm hoping happens on the individual level. But as, as that's happening on the individual level and we're sort of the cultural strike, the movement, the sort of the 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 homage to Iceland is this idea that women deserve to be more than their roles, right? You know, I had now I'm starting to ask women, uh, would you rather be selfless or selfish? And it's a hard question because, you know, after fair play, a lot of people are willing to reclaim the word selfish. Before fair play, a lot of people felt like selfless was a place that they 
a badge of honor. And so I think moving from that and then the bigger changes that I'm, I'm looking for now are really the big ones that, you know, sort of Marilyn Waring started and a lot of different international professors, not out of the U.S., that basically said we have to measure unpaid labor. So that's like while we can fight for and hopefully you'll help me and all the beautiful relationship health experts um, on the ground, whether they be therapists or nutrition coaches or, or life coaches, we do the work together to make sure that the division of labor feels fair. But then on the bigger levels, right, how do we fight for more than just the policies? We need, obviously, in the U.S., we need paid leave. In the U.S., we need subsidized childcare. Um, but more than that, how do we start to exactly come back to where you started, which is that do we believe as a society that an hour holding our child's hand in the pediatrician's office is as valuable as an hour in the boardroom? And until we can say, yes, we believe that as a society, nothing's going to change. And so I believe the way to get there is by starting to look at how we add unpaid labor into our gross domestic product. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Until we start having those conversations, then we're just not going to get there, are we? No, because like you said, Iceland fell apart. Yes. Because the dirty little secret of every country, there's not one country that we can find where men do more unpaid labor than women, not one. And so there's a reason for that. It's a reason for that because most societies are structured with men at power, uh, at the tops of power. And so they are, that is not a coincidence. Mm. Uh, we, we have allowed men with stay-at-home wives to be our power centers in most industrialized nations because we've also allowed and accepted that women will shoulder in most countries, $1.9 trillion or more of unpaid labor a year. So that's what I'm looking at. How do we expose that, change it, and value it? Well, I, th I think it starts with <laughs> everyone getting a deck of cards. That's right. Just hold a card. And I'll say one more thing that, you know what? And the beauty of doing this now for 12 years, these cards, which again, as you said, could be so triggering at first because you think, oh shit, is this a scorekeeping exercise? Yeah. I don't want to know how much I do. <laughs> what they become is a way to talk about our, our humanity. Who was our tooth fairy growing up? How, who did your grocery shopping growing up? What do you remember about the grocery store? What do you remember about what gifts you were given? These cards, which we call chores and housework, the really interesting thing I found over the past decade is that they're much more than that. There, there are, you know, there are humanity. Mm. Yeah. Something for people to think about and reflect on, I think. Eve, we're just going to do a very quick rapid fire to um, Amazing. to wrap up. I could talk to you for hours about this. Yeah, same. <laughs> and I know. And back, I hold the school service card today. So that's why I'm running. Yes. I'm going back right. right in the card to Valentine's Day party for my daughter, Anna. And you're going to be accountable for that. So we're yes, going to keep yes. you on time because I appreciate that. Um, okay. Three questions in our rapid fire. The first one is, what is your top tip for mothers or mums-to-be? Oh, my gosh. I have so many. But I would say to um, to, to, to get, get it right now that, you know, you may think it's better to, to delay these conversations to down the line, but I want to tell everybody out there, communicate, communicate, communicate. I asked a thousand people on social media what their most important practice was. Some people didn't understand the question, but when they did respond, most likely it was meditation or a form of exercise. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, mothers-to-be, um, that communication is your most important practice. Start with a check-in now when emotion is low and cognition is high. Get into the practice of communicating similar to the way you practice exercise. Absolutely. And these cards are not just for people with children. Like no. there's, if you don't have 60 kids. Cards. Yeah, it's 60 cards. 60 cards. If you don't have kids. If you don't yes. have kids. Um, obviously, apart from your wonderful book and deck of cards, do you have any other go-to resources for mums, whether it be another book, I know we've got Unicorn Space as well, or a workshop or a TED Talk or something like that. Yes, I would say the, I love Nedra Tawab. She does 
such beautiful work. You can follow her on social media around boundaries. And then I love Dr. Becky Kennedy. Yes, uh, She has such beautiful work around parenting, but our work really intersects because what she tells you and reminds you is that when you ask for boundaries, like I am not doing lunches anymore. I have a boundary around my time. Do not expect people to give you a high five and to throw fireworks and give you a cake. It's going to feel uncomfortable for them. And so experiencing other people's discomfort with your boundaries is how we make change. And Dr. Becky does a beautiful job talking about that. She's dynamite. I love her so much. Um, And the last question, we've kind of borrowed this from um, my other love, Brene Brown. Um, What do you keep on your bedside table? It's such a beautiful question. Um, Actually, on my bedside table, I I have nothing. And that became a metaphor for the um, chaos I had that I talk about in uh, Fair Play, where trying to read books and to keep an alarm clock and to and I would keep even kids' medicine. I had Mucinex on my table because God forbid someone woke up in the middle of the night with a cough and then things start to build up and build up. And so now I literally have a lamp. <laughs> I love that. As a metaphor, as a metaphor for nothingness. Oh, and peace. Yes. Good. I hope good. we all can have some peace. Absolutely. Eve, it has been an amazing Same. opportunity to Hi. speak with you um, this morning here in Australia. Um, thank you so much for making time for me, particularly on Valentine's Day. And I know you need to run to. But um, I will say that party. big hugs. I'm going to try to, I'm coming to Australia for the Women's World Cup. So hopefully oh. we can meet in person. And I'm hoping to do some sort of, you know, women's circle and author and activist lunch in Australia when I'm there wow. uh, in Sydney. So I will, um, I'll keep Send you updated. Send me the details. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. That would be amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And um, yes, until Big hugs, time. big hugs to your big hugs audience. Big hugs to you. Happy right, Valentine's bye. Day. Bye. bye. Talk to you soon. See ya. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.